Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Paddock Perspectives. Today, like the last episode, I'm going to be interviewing Austin. Some of these questions might be the same, but that's because we have different opinions and I'm interested to hear what he has to say. So without further ado, can you name your favorite Formula One team and driver and explain why they stand out to you? Are we talking current day or? Whatever you feel, whatever jumps out at you. I think I do have a favorite driver. That would be Norris. I think he's definitely got a championship in him. I don't know if I have a favorite team. I really like McLaren, but I think if Norris wasn't there, I probably wouldn't put them as my favorite team. If I was going to go with just favorite team, I would have to say Ferrari. That's what I thought you were going to say. I was like, I know he has a favorite team. I guess I have a little bit of the Ferrari bug. I really want to see them win. I've never watched a season where they have done well. Yeah. I always start the season really optimistic. It's not normally the driver's fault in this case. They've been behind the eight ball in development. They've dropped the ball whenever they've had the real opportunities. Okay. Shit on your favorite team there. I'm just being honest. (laughs) Question number two. Statement number two, I guess we'll say. Tell me about a memorable race or moment in F1 history that left a lasting impression on you. So one of the races that really stuck with me would have to be Monza, the Italian Grand Prix in 2020 when Gasly won. Yes. It was a random race for him to win. His friend had just passed Mm -hmm. Anthony Hubert on track. It was a racing incident, which is horrific for him to come through and win that on Alpha Tauri at the time. Yeah. So the sister team to Red Bull. So they're not supposed to win. Honestly, they're supposed to try to get points in the midfield. And for him to come in first, I got goosebumps. The radio message after talking to the engineers, Mm. him just saying, did did I win? Did I win? Are you serious? I was there too. I was there too. (laughs) I was so ecstatic to listen to it. And then I think the closest feeling I've gotten to that again, that is a happy feeling because there is Bahrain where Grosjean exploded and everything. And that Mm -hmm. definitely left an impression, but not a not a positive one. So I'd have to say Singapore last year. I loved watching Signs do his thing, but I'm going to choose a different one just to mix it up a little bit because I think that was your two that you really enjoyed. So my other choice would be the 2021 last race of the season, Abu Dhabi, last lap at the reset. So they're going around slow as can be. Hamilton is screaming. Toto Wolf is not happy. He is hoping for the FIA to just end the race because it's a safety car. And they said, no, it's the last lap of the last race. We're going to race. They, they actually said, this is race car driving. We're going to race. And that gave me goosebumps. Like the <laughs> music was coming on. It was like, dun it, dun it, dun it. And I was, that one got the hair on my yeah, arms to stand up. For sure. So I really enjoyed that one a lot. If you were to attend a live Formula One race, which circuit would you choose and why? Do I have any money constraints? No. Okay, no money constraints. <laughs> Zandvoort? Okay, why? I think the track is interesting. Mm -hmm. With that banked 
roundabout corner where they're going flat out, it's the wall is literally at a 45 degree angle almost. I don't think I've ever seen anything like it. I think it's very interesting. It'd be Zanvor or or Canada. Yeah. I really Canada's would on my love list. to. Yeah. I, it looks like a great spectator track. For sure. For lots of the stands and everything. It, it, most of the stands look like they're in amazing spots. When we were looking at tickets, actually, just for fun, that was the one where we were like, most of the seats are pretty good. Yeah. Like, it would be okay if we didn't get the most expensive seats. Like, we would still thoroughly enjoy our session. Oh, of course, of course. Our session. Our session. <laughs> Explain the significance of technical aspects like aerodynamics and tire strategy in Formula One. Okay, I mean, that's a big question. That's why I got it for you. Let's start with tire strategies. Other than restrictions with qualifying and being able to use certain tires, we're just going to not talk about that. We're going to say during the race. During the race, there's a lot of strategy between using these three compounds of tires. Mm -hmm. So your soft, mediums, and hard. For example, a strategy could be if you're not starting in the top 10, you might want to go for a one-stop strategy right. on a track. So you would start on a hard set of tires, say you're in 12. You would try to go as long as possible. Hopefully something happens, there's a safety car, somebody messes up, you can gain a few places. You yeah. might even get to a safety car really far on and get a free pit stop and throw on new tires towards the end of the race. So yeah. it's more of a gamble, but that's a good example. Or you could go soft, soft, medium and go as fast as possible. It yeah. is. It does have a lot to do with the circuit too and how hot it is with tire strategies. There's all sorts of things. You do have to use two compounds in a race. So that's, right. that's something to note. With the aerodynamics in this sport being everything. Right. I couldn't understate it if I wanted to. It's every car, every single angle of the car, especially things such as like the front wing, mm -hmm. the angle or degree at which those are fixated matters so much with their cornering abilities and their abilities to go flat out on a straightaway and not yeah. have any resistance. Can't be understated. Yeah. A good example this year that I was just reading about was that Red Bull has a new strategy with their car and they have a bigger nose that's pushing more air back. I think that's the consensus. They were clever with their pictures and their launch to not show that they had a secret weapon. Right behind the driver's head on both sides are air intakes. They did not show it in any pictures or anything. And most of the teams just got to look at it. Nobody else has tried this and more cooling, more better. Mm -hmm. That could really help the aerodynamics of the car because that would just be a flat surface. Now it's actually sucking air in. I wonder if that was their take on fixing the porpoising problem because they saw that they had mentioned that they were taking what Mercedes couldn't fix and they were going to make it better. So I think that's maybe that's how they fixed it. I think you're right. And if you just think about Cars in general, right? If there's some resistance on the top and all they were doing is just trying to find a way to get that resistance to smooth over with very specified angles. And now they're actually using that air to offset 
something. So I think that that might have something to do with the porpoising and cooling, definitely. How has Formula One evolved over the years? And what changes do you find most interesting or challenging for teams? With the drivers, I think there's a lot of a lot of struggle to perform and show that they're worth their while. Perez being a good example this year, he has to show up. He might not get the whole year if he doesn't show up. I think Sargent has a lot to prove this year, too. Mm-hmm. The American on Williams. Mm-hmm. He definitely needs to show up. That would be very important for him. And Sainz kind of has to show up a little bit. I mean, Sainz spoke for himself last season. He doesn't have a seat next year already. So he's got to fight and grind and come all out so he can find a place. If you were to talk about the teams trying to engineer the cars after the regulations and getting it completely wrong like Mercedes and Ferrari did last year, that's got to be tough. I see that as an immense challenge with how often they're changing the regulations. I mean, there's another regulation in 2026 that's going to be very monumental as well. We have different engine manufacturers replacing Honda for Red Bull. And it's going to be Ford at the moment. At the moment. But we don't speculate on that. It's still set to be that way, but I'm not exactly sure. Can you explain the impact of different weather conditions on a Formula One race and how it influences strategies? Heavily. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Well, first off, let's just go with the more normal weather condition, heat. Right. We race in a lot of hot environments. It degradates the tires in specific ways. I mean, it does matter what time of day they race too. Absolutely. There are some night races in certain areas that are night races for a reason because it would be much too hot if they weren't. Like Las Vegas is a good example. Mm-hmm. It'd be too hot. They did it back in the 60s, I believe, and they could barely get through it because it was in the middle of the day and that was not smart. (laughs) Once you get down to it, you have to figure out what tire is going to degradate the most in that condition. A lot of the time, the soft compound might degradate too much and you might not be able to use the fastest compound of tire throughout the whole weekend. So everybody has to jump back to mediums. Somebody's going to try a soft probably in their going to have to pit too soon. Mm -hmm. It's a good example of another strategy. What about for rainy weather? Rainy weather, if it's drizzling or if it's a surprise, they race. A lot of the time, if it gets torrential, that just means it has to take a break. A lot of the time, rain means a wet track, not necessarily downpour. That happens occasionally. A lot of the time, it's just wet. And as soon as they have to throw on the intermediate tires, most of the cars are very close. It's more of the driver taking their will and making it happen. It All of a sudden, a Red Bull and an Alpha Tauri, it doesn't matter. You might be able to pass him because you're... It's like everyone's the same speed on intermediates. <laughs> you're not restricted. Everyone drives the same car. <laughs> yeah. it's And there are certain drivers that are much better in the wet. Absolutely. Discuss the importance of the Formula One driver's fitness and mental resilience during a grueling race season. Well, fitness is really interesting because it's not like other sports where you really want to put on muscle. Right. They have to be as fit as possible and their neck's got to be the size of a tree stump. (laughs) (laughs) And they do neck exercises almost as often as any other exercise. And if you look at any F1 driver, they have a meaty neck because they have to take on the actual G's. Right. Which is very similar to a fighter pilot. They have to reach a certain weight too and stay within that range throughout the season. Yeah. 
The car is fitted for that. They lose a couple kilos during a race. The reason I say kilos is because... It's a European sport. And I don't know the conversion. How has the introduction of the cost cap affected the competitive landscape of Formula One? And do you think it's a positive change? 100%. It is helping. I think we're going to see more of the impact after a few more years. But you can see that most teams are close together. Red Bull's just apart from everybody else. Right. But everyone else is pretty pretty close close, together. Yeah. Like it's a fight for second, not a fight for first. And even with the lower end teams, it's normally reliability issues. With Haas, for example, they can do pretty well in qualifying. Hulkenberg did it all all last year and got into Q3 a lot of the time. Right. Thanks for hanging out with us on Paddock Perspectives today. We hope you tune in for the upcoming episodes. We'll see you soon. 